Welcome to the March edition of BBRO Beatcast. I'm Francesca Broom, your host and Knowledge Exchange Manager for BBRO. This month, we catch up with Dr. Simon Byrne and Stephen Aldous at a drill training event to find out what growers need to be considering before they put the drill in the field. <laughs> so Simon, I'm pleased to hear you've got a little bit of voice left after the second day of drill training for operators. We've had nearly 100 operators with us this year. Just tell me, what do you think key points for drill training that you're trying to deliver? Okay, so I think in a way it's all about getting the basics absolutely right. And I think we, we mustn't lose sight that sometimes when you've been doing a lot of drilling, you know, you do a lot of acres, sometimes you do lose sight of the objectives and you get caught up in just the kind of workings and the operational efficiencies of the machine. So I think where we always like to start is going back to, right, the magic figure. And we all kind of magic figures, this 100,000... Uh, plant established plants per hectare we know that's what we need to establish in our field and i think the the new word is in a uniform way so it's uniform across the field because we absolutely know from all the measurements we've taken over many years that optimizes yield uh, and that's where we need to do but of course we don't start at the established point we have to start way before that and seedbed preparation and it's quite interesting to see how uh, many of the operators were using different types of cultivations and really not aware of what the difference was going to be and the impact on their soils. Yeah, it is, it is interesting. It's a big question because I think we're moving into an era of kind of having a standard way of growing sugar beet and cultivating it, which was traditionally a plough-based routine. We've now got so many options for very good reasons and obviously moving to perhaps less intensive uh, cultivation, certainly probably non-plough systems. But even when you look at the range and options mintel there's probably any number of options and combinations and permutations of bits of kit you can use and i think again going back to the basics of understand what we really want and it is around really getting seed into uh, a nice fine tilth where it gets into contact with soil moisture which is really important for germination clearly and making sure then once it's germinated those seedlings can grow away really quickly and I think the skill is in now trying to understand what is the best approach for cultivation to give those uh, plants the best chance. And of course, I think the important thing is you can't have a blueprint or if you can't approach drilling or cultivation with a blueprint because things change. So just from one day to the next, the weather changes. That can immediately say, well, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, or we, of course, you can move into a field with a different soil type or a very variable soil type. So again, I need to think about that. And I think one of our big messages, start thinking about the detail. It's, it's really interesting. I was speaking to someone on the course today. He says, Simon, you know, your message is absolutely right. And he said, I now think about adjusting things even when I change varieties which I was really pleased to hear because it's a level of detail we don't usually go to. But certainly, I mean, I think we should be looking at our soils, making that assessment. If we know soil type's going to change, let's think about what we might need to do differently. Not so much about cultivation, but about in terms of drilling, seed rate, and of course seed depth. And variable drilling as well, variable seed rates. People need to be understanding what's in the soil, where the soil type changes, where yeah. they've had issues in the past to make those alterations. Yeah, I mean, variable seed rates, obviously we see, some, see that approach, and that technology is there for other crops. 
But for sugar beet, I think we need to understand, so what am I trying to do? What am I trying to achieve? And I'm, there is a risk that we use variable rate to cover up a problem which is actually solved by something else. And sometimes it could be a little bit of putting a uh, sticking plaster over it. Uh, and we did some work last year when we uh, worked with a grower who was adjusting the seed rate on a very stony soil and putting a slightly higher seed rate on stonier areas and slightly lighter in the less stony areas. But when we came to actually measure the population, the population was still quite low, principally because the cultivations are really poor overall. It wasn't anything to do with seed rate. And I think we need to be very clear if you're going to go into variable rate, what is the issue? And is just varying the seed rate the solution? It might be something else. And you know what? Six to seven times out of ten, it comes back to actually soil type, soil and seedbed preparation. And I think one of the biggest messages that has come across today is one size doesn't fit all. So whether it's measuring your seed type, um, knowing which drill suits you, because they're all good drills, but it's finding the right one to suit you and your practices and your soil. Uh, there's, there's loads and loads of things to be taken into consideration, isn't there? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it is challenging and it challenges people to think hard. And I think all we can do is try to kind of give some basic facts and information about what we need to achieve to optimise crop performance. Uh, and some of the things which we can vary, but we can't actually tell you, set this machine up on X, Y and Z, because it won't work. Mm -hmm. And of course, as I said earlier, miniature conditions change, it patently won't work. And actually, it would be the wrong thing for us as, as crop advisors to tell growers to follow that kind of blueprint approach. Well, one of the biggest points is to drill to moisture. Whatever you do, there's no point drilling in when it's really dry um, soils, especially if you've not um, rain forecast. So drilling to moisture, trying to keep to that two and a half to three centimetre depth, but going deeper if you have to. If you have to, yes. But I think also probably even before you put in the drill in the field and worry about that is try to conserve moisture through the cultivation process. Sometimes we are, I can say, a little bit obsessed with very nice, light, fluffy seed beds, and we might just put an extra cultivation in to get it to that state. Do we really need to? Because what we're doing is the more times we put a cultivator through the soil, we're going to be drying it out. And unfortunately, our climate does seem to be presenting us with runs of dry springs. And I think we do need to think about minimising the amount of cultivations in the spring. And that's even before you get into the drill. But then, as you say, it is a case of actually understanding the conditions and more importantly, looking at the forecast for next week what happens is really important and sometimes drilling a seed into a soil which is going to get even drier you know we need to understand that and also understanding what varieties you've got in the field yeah i know you've, you've picked up the, a few times with some of the growers that where they change the varieties uh, mid-field you need to be aware particularly if you're then using herbicides at a later date yeah i mean there's the obvious example obviously is in conviso or the, the smart technology be very careful we need to know where it goes it needs a completely different spray program to uh, conventional varieties if you're using conventional varieties many growers use a mix of both some are actually entirely all gone over to smart but it's really important not to get that out because if you get the wrong variety with the wrong herbicide it can be a very embarrassing and very visible mistake to be seen isn't it obviously but i think the, the other thing about varieties obviously we, we have a number of traits with our, our varieties and let's take something like 
BCN beets this nematode. We have a number of varieties there. We've got some BCN tolerance. We need to make sure that they get in the right fields in the first place. I kind of feel a bit awkward actually saying it in a way because it's such a basic, but actually, it, you know, in the height of a busy drilling period, okay, just grab a box out of the store. Is it BCN? So, oh no, actually, Make this, I need these to go to this field. And what I would urge uh, managers and agronomists to sit down with the drill team to understand what varieties they've got and which target fields we want them to go into. It's the same with a variety with a high level of disease resistance. Actually, you want to target into those fields you think are going to be your latest harvest fields, don't you? So getting the right traits, whether it's BCN, whether it's disease resistance, and of course, bolting, of course. So really make sure the bolting go in the fields you're going to drill first of all, making sure they go in the right fields. And I think at communication, before we get into the kind of height and the rush of drilling, is worth taking probably just an hour to sit down and say, all right, guys, this is what varieties we've got. These are the fields. This is, what, this is the plan. Have a plan. So, Steve, I've just had a little chat with Simon about what he's been delivering as part of the drill training event. And I know you've got a slightly different slant on things because currently you're in your role as head of operations for BBRO, you obviously look after our field team and the trials. But previous to that, you were doing a lot more on the mechanisation side and drill testing and harvester testing. What did you learn when you were doing the drill testing that we could actually benefit from now? I mean, a whole host of things, really, Ches. Uh, there was a range of tests that I completed when I was out with growers. It was. It was interesting to see the diversity of the seabeds that are in front of these drills. Uh, and again, we get a lot of questions. Uh, what drill should I buy? Um, what cultivation should I do? And it's all on an individual basis. Uh, and the more you see, the more you realise how unique it is. Uh, crop rotation, cultivation regimes all play into drill selection. It's always interesting to, to, you know, to be across the whole beet growing area and seeing how diverse it is. Uh, obviously, we, we now have a very useful range of drills available to us, but we need to select the right one, you know, what tool suits that, that role, um, just the range of soil types we're dealing with, the cultivation regimes, all of which is getting more complicated as we see more and more cover crops on farm, more cover crop destruction. So all these practices are coming in and it's just making sure, you know, we've never had such a range of beet drills to choose from. Uh, the weight of some of them and the, the road cleaners, uh, the openers can all be a benefit. We just need to make sure we're, we're choosing the right one for what we're trying to achieve. And also getting um, the information correct, well, the, the detail behind that. So seed rates, um, placement, just, just seeing the whole thing through and planning it before you start. Yeah, definitely. Especially for contractors, you might have a whole range of scenarios in front of you, whether it's tram lining, whether it's seed rates... Uh, whether it's cultivation practices uh, and you know every field potentially you might need to make adjustments for to really dial in that machine and, and get that seed in the, in the optimum place. And obviously on BBR website we've got an awful lot about um, seed placement, seed rates but there may be a change as yet for this year for those that have gone for Cruiser SB so we do urge caution for everybody if you're using Cruiser SB seed mm. if we are allowed to then please do double check on the information. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about tailoring the seed rate to the conditions. Uh, with Cruiser this year and the derogation, it's obviously important that we, we cap that seed rate at 1.15 units. Uh, unfortunately, you can't go above that even if you are nervous about establishment. That is your uh, upper threshold and we can't go beyond that. And Simon's already touched a little bit on the establishment and making sure that we have a nice, even plant population there. And even seed bed will really help to actually achieve that. How many growers do you think actually bother to check their 
seed rates? I think generally on the whole, you know, the technology and the drills now, you've got a nice readout telling you. I'd always say it's worth just checking your spacing, calibrations, etc. factors may be slightly off and you may be under or over applying. It's always worth getting behind the drill and just making sure the seed is exactly where you think it is. And speed also can have a factor, can't it? Yeah, so obviously we want to achieve maximum output. We want to keep that drilling window tight to get the beat off in a timely fashion. But speed can be a negative. Uh, we want to ensure that we, we maintain depth. We're getting that seed into moisture. If we're getting a lot of coulter bounce at speed, that will be a negative impact on our establishment. So maybe just dialing it back a bit might just optimise that placement and, and give it the beat the best possible start. And you were doing quite a bit about cultivations, weren't you? So tell us how many passes should a grower make in a field? It's obviously difficult to say in doing events like this. Obviously we're talking to a lot of people with different soil types, different cultivation regimes, cover crops, not cover crops. So you have to, it's very generic advice but typically I'd always ask the question, you know, if you're not achieving a final seed bed in two passes in the spring, are you using the right tool? Are you doing it at the right time? Do we need to consider a different machine? Do we need to consider different timing? Maybe we need to change the primary cultivation to get us that bit closer to where we want to be in the spring. Always at the moment, we're just considering moisture, moisture for drilling. Can we retain it as much as possible? Yeah, and at the moment, it's looking like quite good soil out there, isn't it? But it is still quite dry. Yeah, definitely this early on, there isn't a lot of seedbed moisture there, especially with people with primary cultivation still to do. We're obviously gonna be moving a lot of soil, drying it out. We just need to be careful we don't lose too much moisture because as we've learned in the last few years, we're not guaranteed rain in March and April. What about the growers that have got a ploddy seedbed? It's still early enough. Uh, just take a moment, look at it, see what you've got to deal with. There is some rain in the forecast. Can we do an early operation, get ourselves a bit closer to where we want to be come mid-March, late March when we're drilling? So maybe an operation of a press uh, or a power harrow now perhaps if it is that bad and get that seedbed a bit finer now. And I know one of your big bugbears is the, the weight of the machinery isn't it? and having unnecessarily weight on things. So just tell me a little bit about the thing, what growers should be looking at, what operators should be doing before they get in the field. It's difficult. I think we've never had such a range of weight uh, within beat drills uh, with the, the more frequent use of, sort of the maze type machine, the hybrid machine that can do both. They can often be double the weight. That means the tractor can be uh, significantly heavier to handle it. Uh, we just need to be conscious of it. Maybe we're moving away from row crop tyres on that drilling tractor and going to a more flotation tyre. But then with that, do we need to consider a track eradicator just to remove that, that shallow compaction uh, and just give that seedling the best possible start? And I was really interested to hear you talking about nitrogen placement because it's something that we actually try and promote. But you were saying about watching out for the weight of having nitrogen on the front of the tractors. Yeah, so often now we're looking at front tanks for carrying that product. Obviously, the more product we carry, the longer we can drill for without filling up. But we just need to be careful. We often consider the weight of the drill, but perhaps the weight on the front axle we could be doing as much damage. So, you know, you've got a tonne, maybe two tonnes on the front. Just be mindful of your tyre selection and what you're doing in, in variable conditions. If we do end up with a lot of moisture, obviously that could cause us some headaches. So, yeah, once we get the, the drill in the field, um, hopefully people have already tested things out. But what are you finding generally, um, people's thoughts about seed spacings? Do they pay enough attention to that? Unfortunately, checking your speed spacing is still a very manual thing. Uh, technology can only do so much for us. There's nothing like getting down on your hands and knees, unfortunately, and finding some seeds in a row and just making sure they're, they're where you think they are. Um, 
I typically look for 10 in a row, which may take a while, but um, just to give you a good average of the spacing and your placement. And they are a bright colour for a reason, aren't they? You can, you can find them. Personally, I'm colour blind, so I always struggle <laughs> with the green seed on brown soil. But yeah, uh, the brighter the colour, the better for me. So yeah, it's not too bad. Stony conditions can, can cause problems, but uh, yeah, it's definitely worth doing. And would you recommend just doing, you said 10 seeds, or just doing that once per field? No, uh, obviously the more you do, the better, but I appreciate it takes time. Uh, I would always advise one uh, in the standard area, so perhaps between the wheels or on the wing of the drill, but also do just check behind the wheeling of the tractor as well. Um, make sure that that's performing as well as it can be, uh, considering that wheeling that's in front of it. And I've spoken a little bit with Simon about cultivations, and I know you had a, a slide that you showed where someone had gone, yeah, nice, nice big ridge down mm -hmm. one side. What kind of impact does that have throughout the rest of the year? So, obviously, we're trying to optimise every pass. If my primary cultivation or my secondary is creating ridging, that's something that my drill operator's got to contend with. Uh, but also, more importantly, for beet, it's, it's going to impact the harvester, potentially. If that ridge is still there come harvest, the machine's going to be moving over it. You know, beet lifting, essentially, we, we want to achieve consistent depth with the shares and with the roller table or the turbines. If, if the harvester's rolling around because of the, the, the seedbed, uh, that could lead to fresh weight losses uh, and inconsistent lifting. And also, if people get the spacing wrong, you were talking about someone having a unit slightly out. Yep. That, that's a major loss of yield, isn't it? Yeah, if, uh, so in that instance, yeah, the, the, the row wasn't at the uh, 18 inches or the 45 centimetres it should have been. Uh, and it just makes it hard work for the harvester. Sometimes they can get those rows if they're slightly ajar, but in this instance it, it caused a problem all season. So it was just out of reach of the travel of the shear and it just kept catching the edge and you could just see the losses. You know, every 18 rows there was one looking at you. Yeah, and that's really 10 minutes at the start of drilling and you could have saved yourself probably quite a few hundred pounds. Yeah, and a bit of embarrassment as well. So uh, just running a tape measure over it or looking where the U-bolts have marked the paint, just make sure those units haven't moved and, and everything's and, running true. And true. when you say embarrassment, it wasn't you, was it? No, it wasn't <laughs> me, unfortunately. Growers have gone the field, uh, they've loaded up the seed and off they go. Um, what else do they need to be thinking about when they're, say, refilling the units? So we're, we're seeing more and more Conviso on farm or ALS tolerant beet. We just need to be really mindful as drill operators where we're putting that. Obviously we've been doing trials on it uh, for several years now and uh, we're very careful with our hygiene. Worst case scenario goes both ways. Uh, if we uh, don't clean out our drills correctly, we could still be drilling conventional beet into a ALS field that's just going to be treated with that herbicide and all those beet that were drilled in the first 100, 200 metres will all die with that first herbicide, which again is quite embarrassing for all involved. Uh, but equally, we don't want to be putting conviso seed in fields where we're not planning to. Obviously, bolter management is a big part of growing conviso uh, and we could end up with a ALS tolerant uh, weed beat problem in a field that we didn't even know we'd grown the crop in. So uh, we just want to make sure that those units are completely empty as we switch between conventional and uh, ALS tolerant beet. And also, if you've got a Caviso seed left, return it to the right packet. Make sure it goes back in the Caviso box. 100%. You might be all KWS material, all orange seed on the surface. If you've used it and you've got some leftovers, empty the drill out completely and put it back in its original box and label it up clearly. You don't want to be grabbing the, the wrong seed and finishing off a field late at night with uh, either conventional or can be so in the wrong place. So, yeah, make sure you keep it separate. Thank you very much for your time. Um, Thank you.
As both Simon and Stephen said, the key points are attention to detail, plan ahead. If you can, check in field, make sure that the seed is landing where you are expecting it. Check the performance of your drill. And also, if you start right, you had more chance of ending right. Let's just pop to the yard to have a word with a couple of the growers. First, Mark Rackham. Mark, you've joined today and this is the first of our drill training events you've ever attended, isn't it? It is, yeah. And have you learned anything? Yeah, it's quite interesting to hear about the different seedbed and cultivation methods and what's good and what's not good. And are you new to sugar beet as well? No, I've drilled sugar beet for quite a few years. And what do you drill? Uh, we've just recently bought a Versat Tempo last year. Yeah. So we're still learning the drill and the, what it can do and what it can't do and that sort of thing. And they're more complicated than you think, aren't they? Yeah, yeah there's a lot more technology in that than what we're used to. And we'll, yeah, from what we've heard here today, it's attention to detail, it's knowing your soil type, it's knowing the, the seed, the varieties you're using, and on top of all that, it's knowing the bit of kit you've got. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yeah. So what sort of soil type have you got? We're a very light land, sort of blow away sand, so we have to be quite cautious of our what cultivations we're doing, we don't over-cultivate. And you've obviously, at the moment, I imagine, quite dry. Yeah, we so are very you're, dry, you're, yeah. You're desperate for a bit of rain yeah. before you start putting stuff in. That's right, yeah. Yeah, great. So hopefully you've enjoyed today. Would you recommend it to anyone else? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Just come here and get some tips and just to refresh your head on what you should be doing in the next few weeks before drilling sugar beet. Yeah, lovely. Well, I'll look forward to catching up with you sometime over the summer and find out how your beets get on. <laughs> Great. Thank so, you very much. Thank you, Mark. Next, we speak to Robert Hambridge. So, Robert, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. Now, you're quite a regular at these events, aren't you? Yes, I seem to come every year whenever you do. I know everyone says the food's great, but what is it that draws you back? Well, if you take a year, um, I suppose it's been ten and a half months since I last drove a beet drill. So it's good to be reminded of what you're supposed to be doing, go back to basics. And it's also really quite handy to pick up a few useful tips from other drill drivers and from the experts who've always got something interesting to say. And I know that you grow quite a lot of Conviso beet, don't you? Uh, we've got at least half of our beet that I'm drilling is going to be Conviso. The rest is conventional. And I know one of the growers I drilled for missed the boat and deeply regrets that he didn't get Conviso. Do you have any tips for growers? Clean your drill out as I can speak from bitter experience. I lost 12 rows at the start of the field, uh, which as the conventional seed ran out and the Conviso took over, green rows magically appeared. So Robert, we've got three drills here today, the Governand, Monosem and Bardstat. What's your preference and why? They're all beat drills. They all have the good points. They all have their minus points. Um, we've had a red one before. We're now on a blue one. Who knows? Perhaps I might even go for a red and yellow one. Thanks very much for joining me, Robert, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the day. I will do. Thank you. As we conclude our session on drill training, can I just remind you to be very careful of overhead power lines, not only for drilling, but also for other operations and harvest. Think about your planning, work out where your clamp or loading is going to take place and make sure that your plans fit for ease, but most of all, for safety. Now we're a little bit behind on basis points, but I do now have the number for February Beatcast and it's CP forward slash one two four five six nine forward slash 
2223 forward slash K. And that's for one point. I will update you on the others, hopefully in the next Beatcast. I hope you'll be able to join us for our grower update on the 2nd of March at one o'clock. Please see BBRO website www.bbro.co.uk forward slash events for details. And for those of you that are going to start drilling in March, all the best for the new season. Thank you for listening.